Join me in prayer. God, you are so good. We are blessed. We are called. We have power in Jesus' name. Lord, and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and mercy and grace. God, you alone deserve the worship, the honor, the praise, the glory. You truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Alpha, the Omega, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the unchanging, perfect, living. We praise you, God. You alone deserve our honor and praise. And today, Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to worship so that we can give you the honor and praise that you alone deserve. We thank you again and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our loving, powerful, amazing, almighty Savior, Jesus. Amen. I am a terrible romantic. I will confess that to you right now. I'm a great husband, and I will brag on how good of a husband I am. I'm a good husband, but I am a terrible romanticist. I'm not the romantic kind of guy. I don't write poetry. Um, I don't particularly sing sonnets to my wife. I'm, I'm not that great at that kind of thing. I'll go and do the dishes and I'll run errands, and I'll, I'll hold my wife's hand, and I, I'm a good husband, but I'm just not good at the romantic stuff. Let me, let me give you a shining example of how terrible I am at this. So my wife, had been, my wife and I had been dating for about a year, and, and I had bought a ring, and it was time to propose. And so I had made arrangements that night. I told my wife, dress nice. We're going to go out on a nice date. I'm going to take you to this place. It's our favorite restaurant in town. So I had gone to the restaurant at lunchtime and set aside a table, told them I wanted this table, and I'd gotten the manager to get in cahoots with me. I was going to walk away from dinner saying I needed to go to the bathroom. And during that time, waiters and waitresses were going to come out and sing happy birthday to my wife. And then I was going to walk up behind her while she's distracted by the waiters and waitresses. And I was going to get down on one knee and I was going to open the box. And when they finished singing, she was going to turn around and see me down on my knee proposing to her. And many of you in this room may go, oh, that's so, that's so romantic. Think of the planning you did. What you don't understand is my wife despises to be sung to in restaurants. FYI, if you are friends with my wife and you want to destroy that friendship, take her out for her birthday and have them sing to her. It's a guarantee that she will dislike you from that point forward. <laughs> so you might see where this is going. So I, I, we got done with our meal and I was like, babe, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. So I stand up and I did go to the bathroom. I was shaking. I was nervous. Went in and washed my hands, put some water on my face. And I come back out and I kind of look around the corner to where the table's at and this group of waiters and waitresses are walking over with a birthday cake with a little candle in it lit and they're walking over and they stand on the other side of the table and they do exactly what I asked them to do. They start singing happy birthday and of course the entire restaurant stops 
and starts looking at my wife who is alone at a table with all eyes on her. And so during this, towards the end, I, I walk up and I get down on my knee and I open the box and you could hear people going, <gasps> and they stop singing and she starts looking around, not with like wonder or curiosity, but with hatred. <laughs> and I'm caught. At this point, there's no turning back. There's no backing out. And she turns around, and luckily she was filled with grace and mercy for my ignorance and my stupidity. <laughs> and I proposed to her there, and of course, everybody in the restaurant clapped, and it was a great... It ended well. <laughs> Let's just say that. It ended... Thank you, Jesus. It ended well for me. But I'm terrible at these kinds of things. I just don't... I'll be honest, I just don't get it. I don't think that way. My mind doesn't work like that. I'm not wired like that. And so I just mess it up every time I even attempt to be romantic with my wife. And so I, I, I'm pathetic. Let's just, let's just call it out for what it is. I'm pathetic. But why am I telling this story? First off, it's hilarious. But second of all, I want us to ask the question today, how do we show God our love? How do you and I as individuals, how do we as a church body, how do we show God just how much we love Him? Because that worship song that we just sang was an ode of love to our Savior, wasn't it? God, you are so good. That's a love song to our God, isn't it? So, before I go any further, let's backtrack for just a moment. Let's see where we've been. We've been in this series called The Unique Us. It's all about who we are as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. What identifies us? What makes us different? And so we spoke about our mission statement. And our mission statement being that driving force. And our mission statement, maybe you can say it with me. Don't put it up on the screen yet, Justin. Maybe you can say it with me or think it in your mind and see if you're starting to get it. Our mission statement is leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. Leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. That is what we exist to do. That is our focus. That is our direction as a church body. And then we went in and explained how there are four values that we have as a church that help us to explain how we accomplish this mission statement. And so the first one was believe, and that was all about how uh, God's truth is the foundation to knowing, loving, and understanding Him. And then we spoke about the next uh, uh, value, which is grow. And the statement on that is growth means change and following God is moving where he takes us both personally and as a church. And today we're going to jump into our third value. Our third value is this, connect. And the statement that goes with connect is this, hope is proclaimed when we are in relationship with God, the church family, and our community. 
So we're going to spend two weeks unpacking this idea of connection, of connecting to God, connecting to the church body, us as people, and connecting to our community. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that this week and next week. So today, I want to specifically talk about how we worship and how worship connects us to God and to our church family and to our community, because what we do here in this hour is a connection point. It's not a routine that we go through day in and day out or week in and week out. It's not a pattern. It's not a schedule that we have to stick to. It's a connection point. You sitting here today is you connecting with God. This is a connection point for you. This is a connection point between you and the rest of the church body who is sitting around you and who will be on this campus walking around throughout the morning. That is part of the connection point of worship. So let's go back to the word worship. What does worship actually mean? Well, I could go in and explain the Greek and the Hebrew, the, the lang- two languages that the Bible's primarily written in, and I could explain what worship is defined as, but it's actually got a broad-ranged definition. It's not something that you can nail down to one thing, and God did that on purpose. But the idea between, behind all of the meanings of worship is simply this. Worship is showing love and adoration for something or for someone. So when we say that we're meeting here to worship, we are not actually singing, we're not actually opening God's Word, we're not actually taking up an offering or doing communion, we are showing how much we love God through those acts. You see, the primary purpose of this hour-long meeting, this hour-long gathering, is not a bunch of check marks on a to-do list. It's connecting and loving God. That's why we meet. That's what this is. Now, are we going to grow through what we do on a Sunday morning? Absolutely. Are we going to be stronger in our beliefs? Absolutely. I'll give you a preview of the fourth uh, value. It's serve. Do we serve on Sundays? Of course we do. But the primary focus is that when we meet, when we gather, we are showing our love for Jesus by meeting together here today. So worship is an expression of love. Now, I could go into Matthew 22 where Jesus is asked by a scribe, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great explanation of why we meet here today. It's so that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we can love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why we meet. That's what worship at its core is, is loving. So, what is worship outside of that, outside of adoration? How do we worship, maybe, would be the better question. Well, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us that the way we live is worship. Our very lifestyle is our sacrificial act of worship. And so, this hour-long gathering of the church body at First Southern is one of the ways we worship, 
But there's a whole lot of hours outside of this hour-long meeting, gathering, that is also worship. The very way you live screams your adoration and love for your Savior. So, worship, in part, is lifestyle. It's the way we live. And uh, over the last year, we've talked a lot about that. But it's also in the church service. And every act that we do, everything, every element of this hour-long meeting and what you will do when we break from here and go to Bible studies, that is also an act of worship. So when we gathered together this morning, we kind of opened with some music and then we had a time where uh, we connected and shook hands. That's worship because that's the church body coming together and meeting and loving one another. Shaking hands, saying hi, doing that act. You know, the the musical expression is, of course, an act of worship. And I think it could be easily argued that when you say the word worship in America today, most people think music, right? Oh, oh, are are you going to go worship at church today? Yeah, I'm going to go worship. And subconsciously, we just kind of think worship is music. And that's not wrong, but it's not 100% right either. What I'm doing right now is an act of worship. You hearing God's word and paying attention. Wake up. (laughs) You listening to God's word and learning about God's word and going to Bible study where you study God's word, that is an act of worship. I mean, think about it. For you married couples or any of you have ever been in a dating relationship, studying the person that you claim to love is part of the act of love, isn't it? When my wife and I first started dating, we would sit on the phone for hours every night. Do you remember that? Were you ever in a relationship like that? We would sit on the phone and just talk. We'd talk about anything and everything. And part of that was learning about my future wife. So learning is part of our worship. Guys, I'll even take it a step further. Our generosity when we do our offering time is an act of worship because our generosity is an act of us showing our love to God. I mean, let's be honest. If you didn't love Jesus, what's the motivation behind being generous with your giving? We give because of our love. So giving is an act of worship. And I could go on and on. Prayer and and all the different aspects, communion, all of those are worship. It's what we do. But today I want to focus on the musical expression of worship. So I want you to take your Bibles, your apps, or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are Bibles in the pews around you. Grab one of those. Psalms is pretty much middle of the Bible. And 150 is the last chapter of the book of Psalms. So if you can find Psalms, it's at the very, very end. If you get, get into Proverbs or even like Isaiah, you've gone too far. You need to back up. So uh, Psalm 150. And on a side note, if you don't have a Bible at home, please, at the end of the service, grab one of those Bibles out of the pew and take it home with you. We want everybody to have a Bible at their home. So we would love to be that, uh, let that be our gift to you today. So Psalm 150, read with me as it says, 
Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise The Lord, praise the Lord. That is a psalm of worship. A lot of worship pastors that I've met will sit and read this psalm over and over. They'll study on it and they'll think on it and they'll they'll meditate on it. But but there's something interesting about this song. I'm going to chase a little rabbit here that I think is, is fascinating. I think everybody should know that is in a church and sings worship songs on a regular basis. Every time you see the word praise... There are six verses here. The word praise the Lord or praise Him is listed 13 times. It's the same word listed over and over and over and over and over and over again in six verses. Praise the Lord, praise Him is the word that we know all too commonly in our worship songs as hallelujah. You ever wonder where the word hallelujah came from? Right here. Every time you see the words in the Old Testament, praise God, praise Him, praise the Lord, it is the word hallelujah. And so interestingly, when we sing a song and it has the word hallelujah, you're actually in Hebrew saying praise the Lord. Isn't that cool? So we praise the Lord continuously. We praise the Lord through our song. But I want you to notice something in this passage. There's not any of these praises that are listed as nouns. They are all verbs. Specifically, they're verbs of command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, well, it'd be a good idea if you could take some time today. And No, this is a praise the Lord. This is a proclamation. This is the psalmist saying, we are commanded to do this. You want to know why we have all these beautiful instruments up here and why we have a choir and we have a a paid worship pastor? Because we're commanded to worship Him with everything that we've got. That's why we worship. It's because God's word over and over and over tells us that's how we're supposed to live our lives. And of course in Romans 12 we find out that praising the Lord also is the way we live our lives. So, praise the Lord. Worship Him. Now I want you to take your Bibles and go to the New Testament. So the last one third. Colossians chapter 3. It's where I want you to go. Colossians chapter 3. It's after Philippians, and it's before 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I hope that helps a little bit. It may not. It may just confuse you even more. Go to the table of contents. That's why God gave it to us. That's what I keep saying. Colossians chapter 3. I want to take a look at what Paul has to say about worship. Because Paul's going to make the argument here in Colossians chapter 3 that worship is everything we do as a body of Christ. That every way we exist, everything we practice, our interaction with one another is an act of worship. 
And so, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 16 and 17. And it says this, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, Paul is making an argument here that everything we do is worship. And so look at this. In verse 16, what does he start with? He talks about the Word. He talks about the Word of Christ dwelling richly within us. Teaching, admonishing one another with all the wisdom that comes from that Word. That is worship. What we're doing in this very moment is an act of worship. Then keep reading. It says, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with thanksgiving. We are called to sing together. If you go read another one of the psalms, it says, make a joyful noise. Not a pretty noise, make a joyful noise. I sometimes sound like a coyote caught in a bear trap, but Jesus loves my terrible singing. Jesus loves my horrible voice because it's not what I sound like. It's where my heart is at when I worship. I want you to notice something about this passage. Everything that this passage and Psalm 150 has pointed us to has nothing to do with us, does it? Worshiping God has nothing to do with us. It's all about Him. And when we make our worship about us and our feelings and our preferences and our desires rather than God's, we've twisted God's word to say something that it doesn't. We've misinterpreted what worship truly is. And so I would challenge you today to put the focus on what really matters. Put the focus on Jesus Christ. You see, when we get our personal preferences in the way of worship or in the way of someone else's worship, we have twisted worship into something it's not intended to be. Worship is all about Jesus. Worship is all about Him. And so we always have to keep that in mind. Yes, it's great to have preferences. It's great to have musical uh, styles that you like over another, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we hinder the worship of someone else, Or we go to an event and the worship style is not the one we prefer and we choose in that moment to not worship or to hinder our worship because it's not the style we like. We have misunderstood what worship actually is. Because your style, your preference, your opinions about music have nothing to do with true worship. True worship is whatever we show God's adoration toward Him. That's what worship is. Now we're going to keep our style in this service the way it is because this is our preference. But if we go somewhere else or we have an opportunity to bless others through another style of worship, we should never hinder that because worship is not ever about us. It's about Jesus Christ. And notice also in verse 16 it says that we're supposed to do this with thankfulness. That's a big one, right? That's hard to be thankful sometimes when we're worshiping. And then if you keep going, verse 17 tells us that everything we do, we do in the name of Jesus. Everything we live, 
every act of singing and taking in of God's word, every interaction with one another in word or deed, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so that's what we're called to do today, is to worship God. John MacArthur says this, Worship should engage the intellect as well as the emotions. By all means, worship should be passionate, heartfelt, and moving. But the point is not to stir emotions while turning off the mind. True worship merges heart and mind in a response of pure adoration based on truth revealed in the Word. I think we're guilty of two things when it comes to worship. Some people are guilty of making worship only emotional. Well, you know, I just, I really didn't feel the worship today. Yeah, that's not what worship is. You're missing the point. Your feelings have nothing to do with worship. If I was romantic, and I was good at that, and I sang a song to my wife, it doesn't matter how I feel in the moment, I'm doing it for her. When we meet together, our feelings are totally and completely unimportant in that moment because it's not about us it's about him and lifting him on high that's what worship is so that's the first thing that i think some people tend to do is they make it all about emotions i think the second one is we're just as guilty at and that's we take the emotions out and we make it all intellectual why well, I, I can't raise my hands right now because that would be too emotional in this moment well, well, I can't sing out because I have a terrible voice and that's intellectually not right, so I'm not going to do that. No, this is where you let loose. This is where your emotions should scream the name of Jesus. This roof should fly off of its foundation because of the worship that comes from this church body. That's how our emotion should be. If you want to clap, clap. If you want to stand and raise your hands, do so. If you want to sit and bow your heads, do that. There is no way that you can show God worship that's wrong as long as it follows God's Word. And there are so many examples of every different form of worship in God's Word. There's everything from people bowing down on their knees and putting their head to the ground. And then you've got David in worship who danced through the streets wearing nothing but a linen ephod. And there's everything in between. Worship cannot just be intellectual. It has also to be passionate. We have to do both. John MacArthur gets it right. Worship has to be a response of pure adoration. It's merging the heart and the mind in that response. And so we can do all things because we are doing it for the purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus. So here's my question this morning. How do you show your love for Jesus? Is it purely intellectual? And do you need some add, to add some passion? Or is it too much on the emotional side and you need to add some thinking into it? Maybe you need to reset your thinking about what the focus of worship is and realize that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him. Where is your worship today? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank You for this chance to be here, this chance to worship You. 
Again, you alone deserve the honor and the praise and the glory. You alone have shown mercy and grace and forgiveness. And because of that, we should praise you with our emotions, with our passions, and with our mind and with our strength. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to be a passionate people for you, studying, knowing God's word. Help us to show our adoration, our love for you. Help us to hold nothing back. Help us to be a people of true worship. The way John chapter 4 tells us that the Father seeks worship. Those who will worship in spirit and truth. Help us to be those kind of worshipers today. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to have a time of response, and today we're going to do a little more worship. Because why not, on a morning when we're studying about God's worship, why shouldn't we end with a little extra worship, right? And so today, I want you to respond to God in the love that you have for Him. Whatever that looks like, if you want to stand and raise your hands or clap or dance, keep it to a minimum. (laughs) We're Baptist people. But, but we should worship Him in passion and with our minds engaged in what the worship is telling us about our love for our Savior. And so I want us to respond today. If you need to pray, come up, pray, kneel down and worship God in that way. If you need to talk with someone this morning, uh, we've got three pastors right here at the front that would love to talk to you. I'm Chad, Josh, Jake. We're going to be up here. We'd love to have a conversation if you need to talk, especially if you're wanting to have uh, more information or you want to answer to some of the questions about beginning a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We would love to talk to you. But let's respond today in true worship. Let's stand if you want to stand.